Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. So today what I want to talk about with Onyx is the logging cut feature. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is we're getting ready to really dive into you know the heart of whitetail hunting across the country. And this can be applied to out west as well, but mostly whitetails. I recently wrote an article for Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine that's in this month's, um, which I think I believe is the October issue, and uh, it just came out. So you can pick that up in newsstands now, but it's or uh, subscribe to it. But it's all about logging cuts and how to utilize them in the big wood setting. So here in Pennsylvania, I use the Onyx feature. I turn on logging cuts and. What that does is, or timber cuts as it's called on the the hunt app, and on any national forest lands, um, it'll show up the timber cut, the year it was cut, whether it was clear cutted, select cutted, you know, everything else gives a lot of detail with it. And I use that a lot when I'm scouting any of these type of areas, and it, it works that way all the way across the country, and. What I'm able to do is be able to, you know, figure out by the age of the clear cut what it's going to look like, you know, what to expect from it, you know, cuts that are, you know, one to three years old, ones that are three to eight years old, and then cuts that are eight years and older. That's kind of how I break down the, the three different types of cuts. And you can use this feature to really help with scouting and pinpoint some of these areas as I call it the big woods food plot. So check out the Onyx Hunt app at onyxmaps.com. You can use the coupon code EMW to save yourself 20% off. Maven Optics. So Maven, I've been using Maven for quite a few years now. And for whitetail hunting, I'm using their B3 models in an 8x30. It's a super small package. And I like that because I don't need to see real far. With whitetails, even though with an eight power, you can see pretty good. But in the timbered woods, it's great to be able to keep around your neck. It's lightweight. It doesn't get in the way. And you can use it at any time. So I use that with just a, a Sika harness. And the little tiny package coming in around $500, $525, depending on your magnification. You can get these little set of binos. And it's the same quality glass that are in some of their bigger options. So really useful to have, especially in low light. If you want to check out Maven Optics, go to mavenbuilt.com. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT to get a free gift with any full-price optics order. The University of Elk Hunting, Corey Jacobson and Elk 101, they've put together the most fully comprehensive elk hunting course available. And... This is the time, I mean, to really get into it, whether you're going to be rifle hunting this year as we're getting close to the end of the bow season or preparing for a hunt next year. And I mean, everything down to one of the sections that can be really helpful is the budgeting section with time and money. And, you know, being a year out from September, that can be extremely helpful to you know, know how much time you need to kind of a lot, you know, figure out how to get it off work from your wife, husband, or whatever that might be. And uh, 
So you can check that out in just one of the, the modules within the online course. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save yourself 20% off. So I didn't think I was going to release an episode this week because I am currently on an elk hunt, but I uh, hopefully have a bull down at this point. <laughs> we'll be optimistic here. And the so this will be coming out and, and I'll be in the second week of elk hunting out there with my cousin Mason and my good buddy Michael and with Justin Mueller filming the whole thing. So I'm, I'm excited for that to all come out. But in the process this week, hopefully I'm not leaking information too soon. But as as of you know the time of me recording this, it's planned to come out this week, and that is the new film from Sika called A Quiet Place. And what this film is was it's actually a film of Jim Hole Jr., who I hunted with in Alberta last year. They did this whole film while I was there, and I actually got to be a part of it. And it's to help with the, the promotion of the new Fanatic line. So I'm I'm really excited to have everyone check that out. Jim's a super intense dude and extremely knowledgeable about whitetail hunting, specifically in the bow zone of Alberta. That I don't know about you, but I grew up reading those articles and always wanting to go there. So it was a dream come true for me to get to go there last year. And... The new Fanatic line is just extremely quiet and warm where I sat in temperatures well below zero. And and it's just, it's a really cool uh, system uh, for that. So the new film should be out now. Check it out over at YouTube, sickagear.com, and wherever else they release it. Like I said, hopefully I'm not uh, releasing this information too early, but I'm pretty sure it should be coming out around this time. So go ahead and be looking for that. All right, so let's get into the episode here with Lantani and also my buddy Clint Campbell who co-hosted it with me from the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting podcast. All right, folks, welcome back. You are listening to a unique episode of this podcast. This is a co-brand podcast with myself Clint from Truth from the Stand and I have my buddy Bo Martonic from East Meets West. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a good episode, and a couple of them here, we're going to kind of yeah. co-brand here, kind of collaborating and, and doing some recording here, so I'm, I'm super excited for it. Yeah, we're showing a little unity in the hunting space here, a little unity. <laughs> Let's yeah. get more of that. Right, right. Yeah, 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 how about it? So, you might, those of you out there listening might be familiar with the gentleman's voice who just chimed in. <laughs> we are at the Muster in the Mountains events for BHA, this is our East Coast event, and we're joined by none other than Lantani. How's it going, man? Dude, I'm having a great time this uh I love being here, have all these people come in. We have people like from Kentucky, people from New York, people from Ohio, like all these people are coming in and uh, the party's just starting, so I'm excited for today. Yeah, I was surprised with the different, because, you know, coming into this, I was like, I wasn't sure how widespread it was going to be. I was thinking like New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, might get a few West Virginians, maybe a couple Ohioans, is that even, or a Buckeye maybe, is a better way to phrase there it. it. Yeah, English <laughs> words, they mean things. Um <laughs> You know, but I was surprised. I, like you said, I've seen people from Kentucky and Virginia, which is, I mean, it's super cool. It just kind of shows the the growth that we've had on the East Coast and how people are getting engaged and 
um, and supporting the movement that, that the BHA has kind of put forth and supporting the vision. So it's, it's absolutely it's exciting to see. And I think you know this is our this is our biggest party that we've ever had east of the Mississippi. Yeah, and you know we're born in the west, but as you just described, like we're growing here in the east, and this is our biggest event yet. So I think people just wanted to be around it, and you know, and I mean, I think you know. They've found their team and they want to be around their team. Yeah. And so this is a great way for all these people to kind of meet each other. Yeah. And uh, and if not, uh, if they have, maybe it's reconnecting with people they've only seen like once or twice. Right. So yeah, I know last night coming in early, um, you know, my wife and I went back to our Airbnb. I'm a camp type. She's more of a glamp type, maybe. You know. Well, you, so. you had to you had to like say that online, like you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, have, you know, hey, like, <laughs> podcast all about transparency, and you know, we're not hiding anything here. And I know? bet she so. doesn't listen to your podcast. Does <laughs> no, she? she has in the past. Actually, she listened to like a recent one, and she made a comment. She's like, "What do you mean by something like you?" Know, the, the, I didn't say battle axe, but it was maybe something as bad as that, right? And she's like, what did you mean by that? And I was like, oh, this is just hunt and talk, babe. Like, you know, it's just what I say with the guys, you know? It's a, it, it, it went over like a Led Zeppelin. It was not good. Um, but I think, you know, before we get too far too far into this, you know, you're you're well known, of course, in this space. But for anyone out there that's listening to this podcast and maybe started got into this kind of new and doesn't have as much background on who you are and what you do, if you wouldn't mind, just give us the, the Cliff Notes version of that. Yeah, so I'm very lucky. I grew up in Montana for the generation uh, my family was very involved in conservation my dad was the first lawyer for the elk foundation when they started in 1985 until he passed away in 95 i would say that my father passing away is why i'm here today okay. uh, really it created this huge hole but at the same time it's an opportunity for me to kind of follow on his footsteps a little bit and uh, and so i got a wildlife biology degree at the university of montana fresh out of school was with the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership for a little bit, um, for three and a half years, and then went to work for the National Wildlife Federation. And then six years ago, came over here to BHA. And, you know, BHA, is, is they started in, around a campfire 2004. You know, all good things happen around a campfire late at right, night. Exactly. Can't wait for this big one we're going to have tonight. Know, right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, they looked at the playing field of all the sports and organizations that are out there, and nobody's really focused on public lands and public waters. You know, great work being done by the Elk Foundation, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, but nobody's really focused on public lands, and so their idea was to make sure that we have access to public lands and waters, and then the fish and wildlife habitat when you get there. Very simple. Now, that starts all the way from a local level. Here in Pennsylvania, they're working on Sunday hunting right now, so that's like mm-hmm. just more opportunity. Then there's things you know that we work on in, in Washington, D.C. as well. And so it's just, again, that base is always trying to make sure you have access to public lands and waters. You know, we could have access to a parking lot, but we don't want that, right? We want access to good quality habitat when we yeah, get there. So right. that's what we're working on. Right. And just... An important, I think, thing to for folks out there to, to know, I guess, is that even though we are backcountry hunters and anglers, right? Like the access isn't just for those folks, right? It's not just like there's uh, there's benefits beyond just those of us who like to go a field or like to throw a throw a line in a stream, right? It's like anyone out there, whether it's a bird watcher, whether it's a hiker, a camper, whatever the case is, like we're all we're all kind of in this together. It would be nice if we could figure out ways that we could all start to share maybe a little bit more of the the burden, if you will, sure. or, you know, or the, you know, or pushing for the progress, you yeah. know, maybe. Um, but I think that'll come as we continue to do events like this and people get involved. You know, I think it's just an exciting time. I mean, so. I'd, I'd go further. I mean, I think you're exactly right that there's a lot of like this shared kind of uh, experience, you know, whether that's like the solitude, the challenge, the adventure that you can go have on public lands. And so whether you're a mountain biker, a kayaker, a backcountry skier, I think we all share that. So there's that piece. But I would also say, that you know the outdoor economy which is 887 billion dollars in this country which is sustainable and something that we can grow like that should mean something to every american and then clean air and clean water you know clean air and clean water like it we all depend on that right yeah. and the majority of that comes from our public lands and so to me if you don't 
hunt or fish or utilize our uh, our public lands, like clean air and clean water still matter to you. And right. so I think that matters to all Americans. And so I think, you know, I think we're all trying to figure out ways to work more together. And um, I think, you know, there's some indication that that's working. Right. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I think if you go to places that we take some of those things for granted, mm-hmm. right. You know, I, I coming from Pennsylvania, right. I've never had an issue with clean air, clean water where I grew up, right. Sure. Cause I grew up in, you know, as we were talking before we hopped on the podcast, Pennsylvania, Bo's from PA yeah. as well, from, from rural PA. But when you think about places, you know, not to bring up a sore subject, but places like Flint, Michigan, right, comes, mm-hmm. to, comes to mind, right? It's like the basic, what we would consider to be things you should just naturally have, like almost like a God-given right, right? They don't have, right? right? And they're struggling with it. It's causing some serious health concerns, which then parlays into, you know, a healthcare system that's strapped and, and, and increasing costs there, which impacts Ameri- Americans. So it's, it's not just, I think all these things people fail somewhat whenever they look at it as an isolated you know episode or incident right there's downstream effects that all these things have no pun intended right exactly (laughs) (laughs) that you know if if you if people really understood what that meant for the downstream kind of you know impact it does become an issue to them because maybe they don't hunt maybe they don't hike maybe maybe they don't care about fishing or whatever that's fine but like do you care about these other ancillary things that that are going to impact you and not just you but generations to come absolutely you know? so i don't know if you have anything to add to that but yeah and it's funny because uh, so i grew up in the, the heart of the pennsylvania wilds area the allegheny national forest everything so i was i never realized you know how lucky i was to have that i just could go out my door and hunt you know wherever that's just you had a big backyard yeah a big backyard exactly yeah, yeah, yeah and i when i moved away to the the pittsburgh area for a while that's when i really appreciated it when i couldn't just I'm like what do you mean i can't you know, just hunt anywhere, you know, it was just, I was completely blinded by it until, you know, then I ended up moving back and I just appreciated it so much more. And and my, my normal career, you know, as an environmental and safety engineer, the environmental part, you know, I work in a factory, but it's all about the water regulation, what's going in there, doing sampling, that stuff, the air, um, air permitting, and just kind of, so I look at it all from a different point of view now than I did. And I think a lot more people are kind of with BHA kind of coming up and, and a lot of other, you know, positive things that uh, just able to relate to it a little bit more and just think of it in a different light. I, right. I guess it's just, it's out there a little bit more now than ever. And it's right. an awesome thing to see. I think that thing you said about taking things for granted, like I think that's something that we all need to be like thinking about. Yeah. And, you know, like this, these 640 million acres that belongs to everybody, mm-hmm. like, if you don't know where that came from and you don't know kind of like what's going on with that, like, like that apathy, like that is like going to be the demise of these public lands that are, you know, that are unique in the world. And so these public lands that, you know, it doesn't matter who your parents are. doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. doesn't matter how much money you made last year. Like they belong to all of us. Like right. that piece, like that's the aspirational piece that we're trying to like preach because that's only been around for about 140 years, you know? Right. And so like that could, it could go away. And like when that, once that goes away, you very rarely get that back. Right. And it's, it's one of those things that I say, and I know that there's, you know, I believe Canada has some public lands and and, and so forth as well, but it's one of those things. If you look across the globe, that is very quintessentially almost American, right. That we, that we have that. Right. And it's, it's one of those things. We have a lot of freedoms and and privileges that we were willing to go to bat and fight for. Right. And this seems to be kind of the, they're the forgotten one. Yeah, well, this is, and it's a, and, it, and it's again. I don't think there's anything more American than our public lands. You right. Know? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, it's very democratic the way they're managed. You know. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody has a voice. Yep. Which sometimes, you know, 
that's discouraging because maybe we don't get exactly what we want. But I think that's an important piece about it is, is that, you know, they're managed for multiple use, the majority of them. And that means not all uses all the time everywhere. Right. right. And so there's, there's like, I, I mean, I think people that, uh, that manage our public lands, like it's one of the hardest jobs ever, right? Like you're trying yeah. to make everybody happy. That's a really hard thing to do. Yeah. And then they're charged with, you know, managing all the dissenting opinions. Right? Absolutely. And those dissenting opinions, you know, just like in a court of law makes whatever it is you come out with stronger. Right. Because you've had the opportunity to hear all, all sides. Absolutely. Um, I want to comment on something or just kind of follow up on something you had had mentioned just about taking things for granted and, and yeah. stuff like that. Cause it feels like, and I wanted to get your perspective on this cause you have a great bird's eye view with, with, with what you do, but the apathy seems like it's more significant in the East versus the West. Like whenever, like the friends that I have in the West, right. They seem much more in tune with what's going on in their public spaces, what's going on with their environment and stuff like that. It seems like on the East coast, people just aren't quite as, as connected to it. And I don't know if you see that as well with like the BHA in terms of like numbers, you know, what regions are growing the most and what types of actions, you know, regions are taking or or not taking maybe might be a better way to put it. So just from your perspective, do you, do you see that? And what do you kind of attribute that to if you do see it? Uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I totally see that. I think that, I mean, I, and if there is that piece, I would say it in a couple of ways. I mean, you talked about the Allegheny here, you know, there's public lands all over the East, you know, Eastern part of the United States but it's not as prevalent as it is in the West. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's not, it's not as everyday kind of, I mean, you grew up, you know, in yeah. Allegheny, so that's like, I think you're a, a little bit unique in that piece, but I think, so maybe there's that disconnect a little bit from public lands because there just isn't as much, mm-hmm. you know, out here in the East, but I, man, like the Pennsylvania chapter right now, it's growing like a weed. And like, I made a bet with one of the chapter <laughs> leaders at rendezvous that, uh, and he says that they're going to have the most membership by 2021. Nice. Now we've only bet a bottle of whiskey, so it's not like there's so, a huge so, like, yeah. problem. And right? everyone's you know? winning. Okay? Yeah, exactly. You know, so exactly. Like, let's be fair. But it's the ambition. I think you know. Again, like um, you know, even if you didn't grow up right next to the Allegheny and it's in your backyard, like that 640 million acres belongs to everybody. And I think you know that public land owner shirt that that's kind of a slogan that we use all the time. Once people figure that out, that apathy changes pretty quickly. But if you don't know that piece, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I. You know, I've traveled all over the country and especially when I'm in airports and you wear that T-shirt and either you're getting high fives or somebody's like, what does that mean? Yeah. And yeah. it's this little short conversation. All of a sudden it's like, and their mind is blown. Right. Yeah. And, I, and to me, so it's about teaching. I think once you teach and so maybe people out in the West, just because they're around it more, they know more about it. Um, and then once you teach people that don't know anything about it, they're, they're super excited and, and more engaged. Than yeah. It. It's funny. I, I wore that shirt to my uh, grandparents' house one day Yeah, and my grandpa, he's about, I think he's 85 years old. He goes, public landowner what land do you own wait pu- pu- public he's like <laughs> trying to figure it out uh-huh. he's thinking too deep into it i was yeah, explaining yeah, yeah. it and yeah. uh it was funny but so like you know like you were saying how it's unique that i grew up in that area i hosted a pint night there uh i don't know maybe three months ago now and a lot of people showed up but i was really surprised still even in you know my hometown area that weren't familiar with well one bha and also just kind of like the the threats that are you know out there for public lands and how lucky we are because like i said the taking for granted piece of it and i and kind of to your point a little bit on that i just i didn't i didn't realize that there was a gap like that especially Mm -hmm. in uh it seemed like the middle age kind of generation with it it was Mm -hmm. i think i guess the younger generation seems to be picking up on it a little bit more where it seemed like around my father's age and stuff like that. Like they just, they just, that's just what it was, you Mm -hmm. know, and Mm -hmm. didn't think much more about it. That's not 
I don't want to put a you know blanket statement out there, but it, for the majority, that's what it kind of seemed like. Right. So it's 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 cool to be able to kind of put you know get that word out and even through different things like pint nights and right. everyone likes to drink beer and talk hunting. So <laughs> might as well have a good well, purpose. Behind like you're it. building like a community, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think people are starving. You know, I mean, it's like. This like internet world that we're living in, you know, it's like it's kind of easy to communicate with like likes and you know like a one right. little comment. Like conversations we're having right now, I think people are starving for it. And so oh, when yeah. you have like a pint night and, and yes, beer brings people together since they've had the first beer, right? Yeah. Like, but like it's a little social lubrication, <laughs> exactly. But I think it's like like people are wanting to have conversations, you know. Yeah. And and this this idea that we communicate by memes, you know, and stuff like that, like is ridiculous to me. You know, like people want to talk, and so I think thank you for doing that for yeah. one. And then two, when you're at those things, like you're educating people, right? Like, mm-hmm. and it's in a soft way, you know, you're not like this shall be that way. You're just having conversations and then they, those conversations, you know, those fingers go out someplace else and then hopefully they're talking to people when they get home. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think the important part too is, is that people can need to recognize that supporting conservation, you can do it in a multitude of ways, right? I wrote an article for a publication that was around the idea of using your natural abilities and like your God given talents to support conservation. Cause mm-hmm. you know, for example, it's like, you know, you pay your dues, maybe you're part of BHA and you pay your membership, you know, every year and stuff like that. And maybe you can't go into your pocket to give, to give more. And that's okay. Sure. It's like, there's a lot of other ways. Like if you're a forester or something like that, you can be helping, you know, uh, your chapter do habitat reconstruction, rehabilitation. Absolutely. If you're a CPA, you can help your chapter by helping them with their books. Everyone needs Absolutely. like financial or legal help. Right. Yeah. So it's like, hopefully not legal help. Hopefully not legal help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from that. But in the event, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's always good to have a lawyer to keep you out of trouble. Right. right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But there's a lot of different, different ways, whether you start a business and you donate back like through, you know, like the profits that you make or whatever. Totally. Right. So there's a lot of different ways to do that. So I, I want to talk about, I think your vision for, for BHA, cause you know, I want to get a sense of like from your, in your opinion, you know, a kind of a state of the union, like where are we at now? Mm-hmm. Right. And then what is, you know, we, we've come very far in a short period of time. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so what is our vision for the future? Like what do you see us kind of turning into? Yeah, I'll give you a kind of like the cliff notes of like where we're at right now. So we're at 37,000 members. I'll put that in perspective. Six years ago, we were at 1,000 members, so that's been quite a growth. Yeah. Uh, to kind of the driving part of that is chapters, and so now we have state chapters in 45 states around the country, uh, two Canadian provinces, one uh, territory up in Yukon. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's where we're at there. Uh, staff-wise, you know, six years ago, it was myself and a couple part-time staff. Uh, now we have 30 full-time staff, and, and that the majority of those are chapter coordinators around the country to help build our chapters. Um, so Chris Hennessy here in Pennsylvania, I mean, that's, yep. I think where we have staff on the ground that can uh, facilitate and uh, encourage and then um, really connect like folks, uh, we're, we're growing like gangbusters right now. And so that's kind of like the state of where we are. I guess the last thing I would say is that when I first started, our funding really came from a couple of foundations like about 90% of our funding was there and that's a scary place to be now. Like we're way more diverse in our funding. And so that's something I'll talk about like now as a piece is that like the more diverse we get, it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. We're going to be okay. And membership is a big piece of that. And you know, that $25 or the hundred dollars a year for sustaining or life memberships, like all that is adding into a pot that is unrestricted money. And so we can use that for whatever we want. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, keeping the lights on, it's getting staff out on the ground. And so when I look at our chapter coordinators and having 10, 11 of those right now, some of them have six, seven states that they're working in. And that's way too much, way too much. I've done this kind of work and I feel like probably two states is about right. If you only have one state, then there's nothing to like kind of compare it to. Plus it's like, 
I think you get too focused on that piece, mm-hmm. um, and then you can't learn things from other places. And so, vision for me is really to have those chapter coordinators, uh, one for every two states, one for every two Canadian provinces and territories. And so that way we have people on the ground that can really kind of build this army. Uh, membership, you know, I said 37,000. You know, what's the future look like? I think, you know, we've been punching way above our weight for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, now that we have 37,000 members, we're like, you know, we're in that heavyweight class, but like, what's going to happen when we're at a hundred thousand, you know, right. I mean, I'm super excited about that piece. Mm-hmm. And so, um, don't just grow members to, you know, for membership sake, you know, there's right. that money piece, but it's really like those people being engaged and like being able to call and like show up and do events, do a cleanup, you know, do some repairing, like, like, uh, uh, restoration. And so super important, um, to kind of continue to grow that piece. And then like that, that diversifying of money, you know, I think that, um, you know, working with our corporate partners and, and all that piece, like that just helps us uh, be more sustainable. Right. Um, but what's the future look like? Man, I want us to be the go-to organization all over this country, all over the world when it comes to public lands and public waters. And right. so that when a decision is being made, that we're able to include the voices of the people on the ground. And that's really what our job is as staff, is to be a megaphone for those people. Yeah, and like you said, the community aspect of it is we're where it's probably why it's growing you know so quickly because everyone's so engaged and and it's not just a a membership that you pay every year because you think it's for a good cause you know it's people want to be involved in it or just super pumped like the the energy of this event is like it's awesome like gets me pumped up you know and that's all across the country man like i I keep i went to indiana where they got like one two percent public land and i was like or no it's iowa excuse me and i was like what like why are you guys and they're just like fired up man and they want to like they want to grow what they already have right now yeah but they also like they want to they want to you know be able to go into the west they want to go into pennsylvania and be able to you know check out their kingdom as i like to call it right right Right. but no it's uh i think that vision really for me um is us to be sustainable uh us and which you know means money it means uh being able to um, facilitate folks on the ground and then I think it's being the go-to organization when it comes to public lands and public water. Right. I know we're a little short on time because I think you have an announcement that's coming up. But, uh, but uh, <laughs> is that what Chris came in here? Yeah, right? yeah, he, yeah. Gave us the, he gave us the two-minute mark. Yeah, I don't get my own life anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to I want to tee this one up. You know, there's, we could talk you know, for hours with you, sure. um, but want to be sensitive to your time. But I want you to kind of give us you know your thoughts on the significance of you know muster in the mountains as as an event, first East Coast event of this size and what it means in terms of supporting that, that long-term vision. Man, I, I think the first thing I would say, and it's that community piece that we've been talking about is bringing people together. You know, I mean, again, we've talked about where all these people are coming from, you know, and there, there's a ton of kids here, you know, and, and then there's, you know, Richard Kaysen who's hosting this, who's kind of on the end, you know, he's, he sees much less uh, seasons. I think is the way Randy Newberg talks about it, like in his future, yeah. right? like, like he wants to pass on. And like, when you see this, like in the womb of time, all these people that are here, like there's a hope that conservation is going to happen. So I would say that is the first piece. It's just this community piece is super exciting. Second piece is, is that, you know, we've got all these games that are going on. It's very interactive, you know? Right. And so as we do more events and our rendezvous in particular, which is our, you know, big event that we do once a year, is how do we incorporate more hands-on stuff and getting people outside, you know? And right. like, again, like all these kids that are here, how we have stuff for them um, to get, just to get them engaged. And like, I mean, cause I always, I always say this is that, you know, we're, we're like these little cogs on the wheel right now and we're doing as much as we can, like while we're on this earth, but somebody's gonna have to pick up those mantle when we're gone. And yeah. who is that going to be? And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks are aging out 
And there hasn't been an organization that's kind of like that next generation of leaders. And I think that's one of the things that we're providing. Right. And, and, you know, that's why you want these kids to get engaged. I mean, I talked to some kids yesterday, 11 years old, and they did a 42-mile hike in the Bob Marshall Wilderness. Jeez. Yeah. 11 years old. That's amazing. Backpack. No, like, horses. Like, no llamas helping them out. Like, it's like, and so that's like that next generation. So I think this event in particular is bringing people together, and then that energy goes home. And those little, like, those little roots, you know, from the tree. Maybe tentacles is not okay. Yeah, like, right. it's an octopus. And I don't right. know what that is. But, <laughs> um, those roots go out. And so I think the significance of that just helps us grow even more out here in the East. And, and really, I think, get people engaged on issues that are out here. Um, but also, you know, make sure that they know that that 640 million acres, it belongs to all of them. It belongs yeah. to all of us. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such, like, and going back on that community piece, it's funny. I was working at the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg. I was working the Maven Optics booth, and people would come up and say, say they'd listen to the podcast or whatever. Yeah. And the guys from Maven said, they're like, 90% of the people that that listen to your podcast have a, either a BHA shirt or yeah, one yeah, line yeah, on or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we could see your demographic. Like, yeah, right. it's, it's, right. And I'm like, it's just, they're all like-minded you know, people that are getting together. And now we, you know, there's a kind of a place to be able to, to do that and be able to connect with them. And it's been super cool. Like, yeah. We've only been here for, you know... A, few hours here today maybe more time has passed than i thought but just awesome hearing from people yeah. and stories yeah. and i always ask you know what how did you you know get involved with bha or what made you come here just kind of i love hearing the the interesting everyone's story like yeah, their, perspectives their, their path totally. but want to be sensitive to your time before chris comes over and wrestles the headsets off of yeah, all, yeah right of us. um but if you wouldn't mind let folks out there that are listening know where they can find more information about bha and how they can get involved totally so we have a, a very i mean it's i'm biased but our website's awesome it's backcountryhunters.org yep. it's not that we don't care about the anglers that would have been really long though like right. backcountryhuntersandanglers.org <laughs> but it's backcountryhunters.org uh metadata and, right yeah right yeah. and then uh and then so that's like like that'll give you and you can dive deep into BHA there um, and look at all the stuff that we're doing. If a day-to-day, like Instagram, is probably like the best thing to see like what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And whether that's events that we're doing all across the country, whether that's an issue like the Land and Water Conservation Fund that you can take action on, uh, I think Instagram is a great place. Um, and then once you become a member, you know, you get connected to your local chapter. And so you'll, fi- you'll get emails from them. Um, and they'll tell you about events. They'll tell you about things going on in the state, things that are going on out in Washington, D.C. Uh, and, and so I, I think like, the best probably thing is to go check us out on, on our website and then really start following us on social media. And, then, you know, we're an open book. And if there's any ever questions, like, don't hesitate to ask. Like, I, there's nothing for us to hide. And, um, and I think that's refreshing a little bit yeah. um, that we call it like we see it. Yeah. Hundred percent. Well, yeah. we're gonna let you get going. Yeah, hey, I enjoyed this, and I'm sorry yeah. I was getting cut off. Like it's, it's been a good conversation. Sorry. We'll chat over beers later. Uh-huh. It'll be cool. What? Hey, what? <laughs> what are those? <laughs> we don't do that. Uh, Appreciate your time. Bro. Thank you so much, Thank man. You. It's land, been awesome. Hey, yeah. awesome land. Appreciate Thank you. Yeah. Land Tony, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.